Welcome to the Morning Huddle, where business, healthcare, and lifestyle meet. This platform is designed to educate and equip business-minded training healthcare professionals to become the leaders in an evolving healthcare landscape. We are your hosts, Dr. Jermaine Fetty and student Dr. Kamal Smith. Welcome back to the Morning Huddle. Today, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Michael Jerkins. We'll dive into topics such as when is the right time to purchase a home? When is the right time to transition from associate to owner? And we break down the infamous doctor's level. Enjoy today's episode. Wanted to hop into some some different products that you have that could possibly help students. Maybe you can explain it uh, to a little to a deeper level. Um, I'm not sure. Do you guys have the the doctor's loan for like mortgages? Do you guys have that product? Yeah. So can you explain we, what it is? Yes, I can explain. So what it is? So number one, um, you know, we Panacea is a division of a bank called Premise. And they're a fantastic partner of ours, uh, publicly traded, multi billion dollar, based out of Virginia. Um, and they've been excellent. Now they have a, another subsidiary that does doctor mortgages. They do called premise mortgage. And we, we connect people to them and actually to other people, other groups as well, but a doctor mortgage, essentially some people call them white coat loans. There's all sorts of little names for them, but essentially what it is, is can offer you a 0% down payment. So you literally don't put any down payment. You don't have to pay. PMI, which is a mortgage insurance, extra fee per month, essentially. Um, and it uh, is a little bit more flexible on the student loans. And so that is, a, that is the, the typical doctor mortgage. Now, there's benefits to that, and there's also risks, right? If you don't put any money down on your house and you have no equity now, so you haven't paid off any of it, you walk in that first day with no equity in the house, um, then if you need to move in a year or two, all of a sudden you don't have much equity then. And what if the price of the house goes down? You might be underwater and you actually might have to sell the house for less than what you actually owe. So that can be a tough thing to not have equity in the house, but it's, it, it, it does create a little bit more people that can you know afford that. I've done two doctor mortgages myself where I had limited or low down payments. The other, the other issue with a doctor loan is that they're typically higher interest rates than a normal standard loan, uh, a mortgage. So they're a little bit higher interest rates because uh, you're not putting as much down. The bank wants to make money on it while they can. And so they're, they're, they're a little bit more expensive than that, that uh, interest rate. Um, and then lastly is that the doctor mortgage typically has a little bit higher of a requirement for your credit score. Um, and so that the, the window of who can fit into a doctor loan is kind of a little bit smaller because of that. And um, some of the non-doctor loans become conventional loans um, that you've heard of. They can actually have a little bit uh, lower credit score minimum. And, um, you know, so it can actually be a little bit more accessible to doctors. That's good. So let me ask you this. At, at what point can someone qualify for it? Is it like, let's say if they're a D4 wrapping up school, so they need to already have a job contract in hand. At what point can they start engaging on that with the institution? Yeah, so you can safely, I think once you're, um, you know, you have a job lined up, you have a contract, you know uh, where you're gonna be moving to, contacting them, uh, contacting a, a mortgage officer. And there's several people can 
feel free to reach out to me. I can connect you with the people we've used over the years that we think are good. Um, and they can start to coach you through it. It's never too early, I think, to really be thinking about this. To your point, uh, Kamal, about like, what can D4s do to start planning? Like, you know, all of us are a little type A. We wouldn't be in dental or medical school. We want to have a plan. And so talking to a mortgage officer, as soon as you get a contract signed or at least a contract that you're kind of in hand, they can start to work with you on what your options are going to be. Think about a pre-approval. Once you get a pre-approval, then it's off to the races on shopping for a house. Um, and, you know, again, I'll say this, try, you're going to be, there's a lot of disincentives here on trying to get you to make a bad decision. What I mean by that is, you know, a bank wants you to buy a big house. Real estate agent gets paid on how much your house is. So be very intentional about trying not to buy all the house that you can technically afford because that's going to put you in a hole. And, you know, let's say you bought a house, a really expensive house right after your D4 year. You can technically afford the payment, but it's probably higher than what you needed. And then you go, you work at a, as an associate or a DSO and you get your clinical skills up and you want to start up a practice. You go to the bank and the bank's like, okay, cool. I'm, that's great. Your credit score is awesome. You're making a lot of money. How much in a monthly payment do you pay on all your debt per month versus how much do you bring in? It's called DTI, debt to income ratio. And all of a sudden that D or the debt is really high because you bought a big old house right afterwards. You might be limited in your practice ownership options at that point because your debt to income ratio is too high. We're worried about cash flows because you're spending so much on that house per month or the nice car or the boat or fill in the blank of things you probably shouldn't have bought right after dental school. Um, and so it's tempting when you're shopping that very first time you get your, your first big contract to start buying a big house, try to fight the urge, keep the future in mind, understand your debt to income ratio and what it needs to be uh, to eventually get into that practice ownership as well. Now, I'm not sure how closely you work with your underwriters, but I've always wondered, like, what kind of horror stories have you seen for somebody who thinks, okay, I have everything I need on paper, and you're just like, uh, no, we need, it. We, need, we need to sit down and reevaluate Yeah, there's lots. <laughs> there's lots of horror stories, unfortunately. But one thing I, I am proud of, and I can tell you several stories at Panacea, is when we can't work with a customer that came to us or, or a doctor that came to us, sitting down and explaining why and what they can do to improve and come back later. It's not just this transactional deal of, yes, you're approved, you know, we'll put you down and then get your loan, never hear from us again. Or it's not a, no, we can't do that. I'll, you'll never hear from me again. It's a, like, we actually exist to help doctors. And that means being a consultant, not just a transactional relationship. So we have horror stories of people who've gotten bad financial advice, who've made poor financial decisions. Maybe they actually have loans from other banks that had all of these terms wrapped up in it that they didn't know existed and prepayment penalties and all of this stuff, or that bank wasn't prepared to help them open up their second, third or fourth practice because of kind of the stuff hidden in there. It, it, it can be very frustrating for the doctor to find that out. So it's important to have someone, not only that you trust, but that's going to help help give you the good advice, even if you can't be their customer, if that makes sense. For sure. As we now continue to bridge along and from the doctor to the owner side, the last questions, last two questions I have on the doctor side are, 
what can doctors do? And I'm speaking from an associate's perspective when they're still associating with uh, another practice, what can they start doing while still an associate to start preparing for that practice ownership if that's where they would like to go next? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously I'm biased here, but I think it's trying to figure out how to get your financial house in order. Um, and it's talking, I mean, we do this all the time and folks that are associates, they'll call us and we'll talk to uh, our team and we'll walk them through, here's the three or four things that you need to make sure you do this next year. And let's make sure they're aligned with your goals. Um, most of the time what we see is people have kind of started down the path and maybe set themselves up for a situation they might not be ready for financially. Or again, they kind of are shooting for the moon when they need to be aiming for the stars, so to speak. Um, and they, they did it. It kind of goes back to what I said about the mortgage thing. Like, you want to start buying a house? Like, talk to someone in your fourth year once you get the contract. You want to be a practice owner? Start talking to banks. Understand your, what you should financially be doing a year or two before you want to be a practice owner. <clears throat> and so, and I'm rambling and I apologize. I do, I am fairly long winded, but uh, internal medicine doctors are known to do this. So apologies to, to all the dentists out there listening to me. Um, <laughs> is that um, in short, I think you need to start talking to experts soon, right? It's, it's to your point of developing a relationship. That way, you know someone you might be um, getting into a, a financial or business relationship with before you even need to make that decision or pull the trigger. You get to know their character. You get to know, um, you know what they're like when they get stressed, when they get flustered, when maybe they don't know the answer. Um, and so I think it's never too early to get that information from a bank to understand what your financial next step should be during associateship. But again, the, the big things are making sure your debt to income is good, making sure you got your clinical skills really honed in. Um, I think those are the, the two biggest things too. All right, perfect. And my last question on that for, for the doctor, the associate, what, what kind of products do you have available to them, let's say on a personal financing side um, that not necessarily practice ownership and, you know, not necessarily student, but in, in, in that area where they're growing within their career, what, what kind of ways can you engage with them? Yeah, so we, again, I think the biggest things are the personal banking. So that's the high yield savings. Um, if they do need that peer and personal loan, they can do that. Uh, we don't at this time do wealth management. Uh, we do have relationships with people on the insurance side. We don't offer the insurance ourselves, but people who want to make sure that their assets are protected, which is really the first step you really need to do is uh, protect is that is that is the kind of the first thing and uh, making sure you have good disability coverage, making sure you have good life insurance coverage is, is key, especially for those of us early in our career and have a huge future in front of us of potential earnings. You want to make sure you're protecting that. Um, and so we hook people up um, with the right people for insurance. Uh, we don't, again, offer that ourselves as a bank, but we do have relationships with those who do a good job with doctors. Um, and then, you know, I think to your, to your point of like, it's not necessarily practice ownership, but having someone that's kind of a trusted advisor, we've literally helped thousands of doctors. So we have people sometimes that aren't even our customers call us and say, hey, here are the three things I need. We have actually something on our website called Build Your Team. So people come out, fill out a form. I, I, it's very common. And people will say, hey, I need a CPA. Do you know any good CPAs? We'll put them in contact with ones we like that we know have, and we vetted. 
hey, I need a contract lawyer. Do you guys know of any that work with doctors? Yes, we do. We work with them all the time. Here's three names. Um, an architect, uh, pick a thing that you really need as a team around you to be successful. And we have those relationships across the country. And so it's a totally free service. People come on and you know, tell us what they're looking for. And then we connect them. We always give you more than one option. It's not like we're handing you off to one person. We give you more than one option that you can research and get to know and figure out what's best for you. But at least you get a good place to start. That's good. That's good. So as we transition to the owner section of things, um, I guess the first question for you is, on what levels can Panacea partner with a practice owner as far as a dental practice owner? Um, I guess real estate-wise or I guess uh, practice acquisition, equipment. You, you tell me, on what levels can there be engagement? Yeah, all of those. So that's, that's uh, anything from buying a practice, uh, starting your own uh, with commercial real estate, uh, expanding your practice, buying equipment, getting a line of credit for your business, buying into a practice. Frankly, we have people buy into a DSO, for example. Maybe they don't want to open up their own practice, but they want to buy some equity into the DSO. They get offered that. Um, a lot of times that DSO is not going to give you the money to be able to buy in. You got to go find that yourself. And so the big deal there is our buy-in loans are completely unsecured. That means you don't have to back it up with any asset and we can underwrite those quickly and up to $400,000. We can do that in a couple of days. And sometimes we do higher than that in a couple of days. So the practice buy-in loan is huge for those who are, you know, joining a DSO or some other large organization where they're offered equity um, or a stake of ownership into that large organization. We can finance that. Um, and we don't have to put a lien on your house or equipment in the practice or anything like that. And that, that's a big one that people use a lot, actually. That's good. That's really, really good. So let me ask you this. For, for those who one day plan on open, opening uh, a, a mega DSO that has uh, just just 2 million practices or something, right? <laughs> how, 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 how do you guys engage with somebody who is, let's say, realistically interested in going to maybe one or three practices? Once they have that first practice, what do you look and evaluate when they're ready, when they think they're ready to go to practice number two or three? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I would say even backing up is if you even think you want to open up one, two, three, four practices, you want to make sure whatever bank you use for that practice number one, can help you with practice number three, four, five. Because that's actually not the case. It might seem obvious, hey, I got one practice, we're humming, got tons of revenue, pay off my debt, but that bank might not be prepared to extend you more and more and more loans. So when you buy that first one and you even think, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up more, you need to ask some hard questions and have a tough conversation with that bank to see if they actually can help you with your second, third, fourth, fifth practice. And so we have a lot of folks that we help that, they, they want to open up practice three, four, five. We would love to do it, uh, but unfortunately they're stuck with a different bank and that bank can't help them. So they're kind of paralyzed almost because they had the wrong partner to begin with. And in fact, I can think of a deal uh, earlier last month where they had, uh, I think two practices and they were making, they were doing great. I mean, they had grown that practice over two, two, two or three years, uh, both of them, and they were ready to open up a third, but unfortunately the bank they had partnered with, which was not us, was not going to extend them any more loans and they wouldn't allow that borrower to go with a different bank for another loan. And so they were really stuck. Um, and I think that happens more often than you know. So back into what we would do, I think we want to 
again, take a common sense approach. If you come to us and you say, hey, I'm going to buy my first practice, but I got plans for practice two, three, and four. Okay, let's set up a plan and show you how you can do that. What's the timeline? What kind of metrics should you be achieving in years one, two, and three so we can get you there and safely be able to, to extend another loan for you to open up the next practice? Um, and you'd be surprised, again, at how unprepared a lot of banks are at really getting you there if you're wanting a DSO or um, you know, multi-site organization. That's good. That's good. And one of my last questions is, so I've heard different strategies as far as if somebody is interested in becoming a practice owner and becoming a homeowner, all within the same, let's say, 365-day window. I've heard they need to close on a practice first before they go home, they need to go home before they go practice. From, from what you have seen, what have you seen work best? Yeah, so, you know, I would say the, the, the non-satisfying answer is it depends. <laughs> um, but I think in general, it's a lot. It sounds like I'm just uh, preaching the same thing over and over. But really, it's the try not to buy, buy more house than you need um, so that your monthly debt payments or servicing is low so that you're able to afford the practice you want. And then once you buy that practice, now you have a home still. It's not like you're, you know, you still in this scenario would have a home. It might not be the home you want, but at least you're now building that practice, putting equity in that practice. You're getting your feet under you, paying down that practice loan so that when you go back, now you have more history, right? Because now you own, you've owned the home for a little bit. You've owned the practice for a little bit. You've started to pay down your debt and that allows you a little bit more flexibility. Instead of buying a big house, now you're limited with ever getting that practice. Now you got to pay that house down before you're able to go get that practice. So I, again, it depends, but in general, I think by rule of thumb, live below your means as much as you can to uh, make your cash flow that um, as, as nice as it optimized as it can be so that if you're wanting to get in practice ownership, you're able to get the practice that you want. So it sounds like um, buy your dream practice before your dream home so you can buy your dream home one day. I think that's a better way to flip flop because <laughs> I'm not sure you'll get a dream anything except a, a large monthly payment. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Cabal. Yes, man. I also heard you say buy a home first, um, but just don't get your dream home before you get the practice. Am I correct? I think that's a, yes, exactly. So you're not going to spend the big bucks to get your forever home right out of dental school. And if you do, it might limit you on the kind of debt you're able to get for a practice. Got it. Got it. Okay. So I think the common trend that I feel like I've been taking away is like what you said, live within your means as much as possible and live under your means so you can make sure you can develop your cash flow um, before making any purchases. Um, but also understanding, like you said, a lot of dentists and doctors coming out of school, uh, they, they've been working in school for so long. There's definitely that urge to be able to um, just have their lifestyle reflect the hard work that they've been able to put in. What is your advice on when they want to make a decision such as buying a car or um, buying a house to make sure that they're doing that responsibly? I think if they can still have a high savings rate, so in a sense, paying yourself first, as I mentioned, all of us have a late start on savings, right? I mean, we spent so many years not making any money. So as long as you're hitting that savings rate, which you might, depending on who you talk to, anywhere 15, 20%, some people say up to 30%. I mean, that's a lot. 
but we're trying to play catch up. We're trying to build our nest egg, our retirement when everyone else had a head start. If you're able to pay yourself first and then you're still living below your means when you get this new car or this house, then I think it's okay. It's safe. Obviously, you don't want it. It depends on, on the customer. But um, you really want to make sure you're paying yourself first, putting yourself in a good financial situation for the long run, saving first, then making these decisions later instead of vice versa, where you're like, man, I make, let's just pick a number. I make 15 grand a month. So I'm going to make sure I can spend up to $14,999 um, on my car, my student loans, my house. And that is the wrong way to put it because then you're 65 and you didn't save up anything. <laughs> you might have a house yeah. paid off, but you didn't set yourself up for success long-term. Definitely. I, I like that. And, and paying yourself first is just putting a portion of your paycheck into savings. That's right. And, and being able to build that up over time. Um, for associates and younger doctors that are wanting to go into ownership, from your experience, how when is the good time frame to move from associate into practice ownership? Yeah, I think it, again, on non-satisfying answers, it depends. But I think having a couple years clinical experience, um, you know, it's hard for someone fresh out of dental school who's never seen patients on their own to want to go start a practice. Um, now, you know, it's happened. I'm not saying it's never happened. We've never done it, but typically that's when folks who are specialists who've already had more experience. They've already gone through more training. Uh, the market for their um, skills is a little bit different, but typically for general dentistry, we like to have a couple years experience. Um, and you know, part of it too is if you're a general dentist and you're an associate somewhere and you start your own practice, a lot of times what ends up happening is you're not seeing a lot of patients at first in your new practice. But if you wanna go back and be an associate for a day and a half a week, so you're making some extra money, that you know at least you're making money per month because your new practice doesn't have a ton of patients yet. You want to have that ability to be able to still get revenue. And over time, as your new practice builds up more and more patients, you don't necessarily have to go associate at another clinic part-time. Definitely. One thing I've, I've been saying just with some of my mentors and, and people on my network is more people are moving toward the group practice model. Um, from a financial standpoint, what are some of the pros and cons of going into practice ownership as a solo practice owner versus um, going in with a group? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is the economies of scale, you know, on things like supplies, on things like labor costs, on things like, um, and sometimes it's internal referrals, especially if it's a multi-specialty um, group, and then you can harness some of that revenue that you would have been referring out, but you can refer over to someone in your group who is a specialist. So you're able to recoup that revenue. Um, but you know, we've heard from a lot of practice owners over the last couple of years, this has not been talked about a lot. We talk a lot about rates going up, but inflation, right? So the cost to all the equipment and, and supplies have gone up tremendously, especially um, on salary and wages for people that work for you. Um, that's gone up a lot over the last two years, especially. So having that group practice allows you to kind of pool your resources together, have a little bit more economies of scale, more negotiating factor, uh, more negotiating power, I should say, on things like supplies, et cetera. Definitely. And my last question before I pass it over is, are there any apps or resources that you would recommend as far as budgeting 
um, that students and doctors and, and doctors early in their careers can start to utilize to organize and manage their finances? I think so. So the short answer is I don't have one that's my gold standard that I recommend. I have a couple, but I don't want to put my stamp on there and then they're not very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there's definitely some online. I mean, some of the big names you see are, are like Nerd Wallet, et cetera. They have some of these budgeting apps that are pretty good. Um, you know, on the um, on the medical side, a lot of people go to you know Physician on Fire or White Coat Investor, and they talk a lot about budgeting and they have good resources. It's very basic personal finance, um, and and they do they do a pretty good job. Okay. Perfect, perfect. I think one one good place for people to start is a website called trustpilot.com that gives you a good amount of different businesses where you can see how much does other people trust that particular business. And I happened to uh, scroll across one of the companies when I looked into the banking sector and somebody was number two. Oh man, with a right. 4.9 overall rating. How do you get that high, man? I mean, good <laughs> man. How's that even possible? Yeah, I, I appreciate you that. I uh, I forgot about that. No, yeah, hard work and just doing the right thing. You know, I think we stress to anyone who talks to doctors, we're advisors, we're not salespeople. We're not trying to push things on people. We're trying to answer questions. And generally that, that works well. I mean, that's the kind of model we wanted to build. We've been successful at it. And luckily uh, people had good experience and, and let those ratings in the comments are, are, are pretty cool too some of the stories about how we help people um and you know as hokey and cheesy as it might be that really is why we got into this and so it means a lot to be able to 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 hear from our customers at how we felt them well thank you so much for your time and myself personally i don't like to just throw out you know hey i think work with work with this person work with this person unless i personally experienced that personally experienced fantasy work with engaged with you guys on multiple levels and it's been um, nothing but pleasant uh interactions the entire time i'll be remiss not to not to shout out rob uh my guy he has done a fantastic job through every transactions we had to look through from start to finish so um thank you and your team for all you do for doctors um i, I love your model of uh, bank my doctors for doctors um so just please just continue everything you do um thank you everybody for joining the morning huddle today um y'all take care Thanks for having me.